Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. I'm welcoming to the podcast Lindsay Hall. Lindsay is an intimacy and empowerment coach. She spent 12 years in the world of corporate accounting, where listening to intuition and prioritising pleasure were not exactly encouraged. But now she is passionate about helping women bring more pleasure to their daily lives and peeling back the layers of shame and social conditioning that prevent us from living our fully empowered lives. She says she hates small talks and elephants in the room and much prefers to dive in deep talking about the things that are maybe scary, but ultimately so important and healing to talk about. After going through her own divorce during lockdown with two young children, she also specialises in supporting women emotionally through the divorce process and beyond, including dating and co-parenting. She says her mission is to help women to deepen their intimacy with their self and others, own their power and their pleasure and live a joyful life they love. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Hello, thank you for having me. Ah, oh, you're welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? Ah, uh, well, I'm fascinated to hear about your work. I love it when um, people have jobs that I didn't even know existed. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Well, actually, we're going to dive straight in with resilience. Um, but I'm quite interested to know whether, did you feel like you forged this career for yourself because of your interests or had you seen it and imagined it long before you became a intimacy and empowerment coach? No, it's similar to you. I did not know that this existed <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, it came about because after, and I know we'll go into my story a bit more, but after I separated from my husband, um, I had been telling a friend that I wanted to do something like I felt like sex had been a big issue in our marriage and I wanted to make it not an issue before I got into a new relationship. And she suggested, oh, I think you should talk to a sex coach. I know somebody. And at the time I was like, that's a that's a thing. Um, so she put me in touch with somebody. The sex coach turned into much more general coaching. Um, and then from there, I it made such an impact on my life that I thought, I want to do this too. <laughs> so I, I just, but through that, I discovered all these other coaches and intimacy coaches and just various kinds. Like, you know, I think we've heard of like life coaches, but that is so broad. Whereas it turns out there's coaching for everything, anything you could possibly want. There's probably a coach who does it. <laughs> oh, well, well done in that career change. And moving now to resilience, I'm really interested to hear your definition of resilience. Yeah, that is such a good question. I think resilience to me means getting back up again when you fall down, because we all fall down at some point. It's It's not like anybody ever has anything, you know, where just everything goes fine all the time. So we're all going to get knocked down. We're going to get setbacks and it's getting back up again. But then I think above and beyond that, it's not just the getting up and the carrying on, but it's, it's doing it in a way that feels good. And it's not just that this is such a cliche saying, but like not just surviving, but thriving. So if you can not just Sometimes it's plodding on one foot from the other, but then taking it beyond that and being like, ah, this feels so good. I think that is kind of true resilience. That sounds wonderful. I want some of that. And 
Yeah, like where does that come from when you think about resilience? Is that a mixture of your work and your experiences? Or did you have that idea through the experiences that you've been through and then build on that with your coaching? Um, Yeah, I think that probably is a lot. I, I would have been really curious to hear my own definition maybe four years ago before I started all of this journey. But I think that a lot of that comes from post my divorce, getting my coaching, really diving into the world of um, personal development, Brene Brown's work about, um, like she talks about being in the arena face down in the mud and how to come through that and um, get back up again. So I think it's a combination of personal experience and then all the other stuff I've taken in along the way on this journey. So tell us a little bit, you've already put touched on your personal story, but was there kind of a time before your divorce, I'm presuming I said that you were an accountant, and obviously you couldn't foresee the future that you had now, like was it a massive shift for you, this divorce? Yeah, it really, it really sort of changed the course of my life, I mm, suppose. That's what it feels like, yeah. Yeah, which sounds dramatic, but it's very true. So I think previous to that, I had spent 12 years in corporate accounting. I'd um, I'd had recently had my first child and was just feeling like, like sort of the, is this it? And I remember posting in a local mom's Facebook group being like, oh, I just like, is it all going to feel so heavy like this forever? Like it's just nothing is fun anymore. And I'm constantly trying to like plan everything around this baby. And like, is this it? And I remember getting loads of feedback, which was somewhat comforting and also somewhat depressing of like basically saying, yep, this is it now that you're a mom. Like, so I was like, okay, nice to know I'm not alone, but also that answer sucks. (laughs) Like I don't want that to be it. Um, and then, so when, when my divorce happened, which it, I didn't see it coming. So this was something that was a shock to me and it took quite a long time for me to sort of get to grips with, but then with the benefit of hindsight, I could look back and go, oh, I was actually really quite unhappy and didn't know it. I didn't, I wasn't willing to look in at myself and my relationship that deeply. Um, I was just sort of in autopilot for so long of like, you do the job, you become a mom, you do all these things. Um, And so the divorce really like shook everything up for me. It gave me a chance to reevaluate, look at my own stuff, how I showed up in relationships, how I showed up in life in general, realized I didn't want to be the kind was like, everything just feels so heavy all the time and go, hang on, how do I actually want to live my life? Um, And then so that changed, yeah, how I showed up, how, and then that ultimately sh- um, showed how I wanted to change my career as well. And I was like, I don't think I want to just be showing up in this corporate office again every day, making somebody else money, but also like being very inconsequential along the way. Like I want to do things that actually matter and actually change people's lives. So it, yeah, pretty much changed everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, something sounded really familiar there, like, the autopilot and the kind of just getting through days. I mean, sometimes I look back and weeks just seem to flash by. And it seems from my view that this is quite common. Do you think this is a way that a lot of us are living kind of autopilot? Yeah, definitely. And it's so easy to fall into that. It's not, you know, to criticize anybody who's in that by any means, but we can get just stuck in the everyday life because 
life, you know, in some ways it is monotonous and there's stuff you have to do all the time and you've got to, you know, you do have to go to work and if you've got kids, you've got to feed them every day. <laughs> you know, you've got to do all the things. But to and to pull yourself out of that takes a lot of effort and a lot of intention. And it's hard. There's days where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back into like kind of this safe little cocoon where I didn't have to look at myself and I didn't have to do this work. But it comes down to choose your hard because that wasn't a particularly fun or easy time either. And so although this is hard, it's hard in a different way. And I would always choose this way now. It's like, it's like I've turned on the high definition of my life and I'm like, the colors are brighter and everything is just like more vivid. And so, yes, that means the hard stuff is kind of harder, but it also means the good stuff is even better. And I don't think there's any going back. Oh, oh, that's really reassuring to hear that you sometimes had that slight little nostalgic crave for the easy life. <laughs> because yeah, sometimes definitely. I think that can kind of creep up and be like, did I make the wrong decision? Or, but no, we can have those thoughts, but still see the bigger picture. So going back to yeah, the definitely. resilience, kind of that getting back up again. I mean, it sounded like, yeah, this divorce came out of nowhere. And then I rechanged my career and things, but I'm guessing it wasn't that easy or that straightforward. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't. So yeah. What was I, it like? Well, it became clear. We'd, we'd been struggling for a while. Um, I was pregnant with our second child. And as we we're getting towards the end of the pregnancy, things got worse and worse. Um, and then ultimately, my ex-husband moved out when my the youngest was about less than two months old. Um, and he was struggling with his own stuff and wasn't really in a place to care for our children at that point in time. So I was kind of left with a newborn and a two and a half year old um, on my own. And that's, you know, that's quite a vulnerable time when you and your your hormones are all over the place. Um, my family lives in America. I live in England. So I had no family here. And all of this was about two months before lockdown hit. Wow. So we, I had just, you know, started to get some support around me and then lockdown hit. And um, then the only time, so we kept with my ex-husband, he kept coming over to the house during lockdown to see the kids. So it was like the only other adult human that I am able to see is the person that I'm breaking up with, that I was in love with for 12 years and I'm now breaking up with. And that is a whole kind of intense pain where you're like, I need other people and I can't have other people. And I'm sleep deprived because the baby's up all night feeding and this toddler is, you know, two and a half, three. And oh my goodness, is that a tough age? Yeah. Um, and so when I look back at that time, I honestly don't really know how I did it. And that <laughs> is a time where it's like, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you... I was, you know, I was doing everything I could to fill myself up in the little tiny pockets of time that I could. So I made sure that I was eating properly and trying to um, take me time when I could. I basically didn't sleep because for me at the time, I would rather stay up later at night and have some time for me as opposed to going to bed earlier. Mm. I don't know. Some people, some people choose sleep, but I seem to always sacrifice that one. Um, but at that point, it really was just like, get through the day, keep, you know, try and process your emotions at night, keep the kids happy during the day as much as you can, try and keep keep yourself together. Um, but then ultimately, eventually over time, kind of the fog starts to lift. And you're like, I remember actually, 
So yeah, all of that happened in the January. Then we were in lockdown. We had family photos taken in the August, me and the two girls. And I hadn't really planned it, but a local photographer was doing this like outdoor photographs in the park for like 30 pounds or something insanely cheap. I was like, sure, let's do that. And I got these pictures back of me and my girls and just burst into tears because I looked at them. I was like, I'm doing it. (laughs) I am actually a single mom who is kind of rocking this. Like, look at these photos. Look how happy we all are. And like, I haven't ruined my kid's life in the process. And it was just this cool moment of realizing like, okay, we're doing this. And giving yourself some compassion for the fact of everything that you got through in those last three few months. Yeah, absolutely. And widening that out to the women that you support, it is women, isn't it, in terms of divorces? Um, yes. What are just kind of thinking generally around that time early on in the divorce? What sort of feelings come up then? Is there general ones or is it so different for each person? Um, everybody's feelings will be different, but also similar in that there's there's going to be big emotions. And some of us, already, you know, are used to handling big emotions, but a lot of us like me, I've spent most of my life, like pushing down my emotions and not actually feeling them. So I was like, (laughs) I know I was wondering who are these people that are used to it because I'm not in that camp. (laughs) No. And that, that is definitely the minority from what I've discovered. It's far more of us who are like, no, no, we don't, you know, we, we just carry on no matter what. And actually when you're going through big stuff like that, that kind of becomes not an option. The feelings are so big that they overwhelm you. And I remember being like, holy crap, <laughs> like I was just hit with these waves of emotion. Um, and they will, and that that seems pretty universal, you know, and even when people tell me like, oh, I'm feeling kind of numb about this or like, I think I'm all right. You know, I've been processing the breakup for like ages now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> if you say so. And then a little while later, they're like, uh-huh. The feelings hit. <laughs> like, yeah, I knew they were going to. <laughs> and what sort of things um, are coming up for people then? Um, it's it's a mixture of grief and loss. And even if so sometimes, you know, I'm hearing it from people who have had a great relationship. Like I had still felt very deeply in love with my ex. Um, and I was like, how are we breaking up when we're still so in love? So it was grieving that, but other people may have said, actually we kind of fell out of love a long time ago. So it, you know, it feels like we're past that, but it's still the grieving of what could have been. It, you still had this future vision of your lives together. And so readjusting to a whole new future vision is, is a big thing. Um, most of us don't plan on being single parents. When you decide to have kids, it's usually the idea that there's going to be two of you raising these kids together that's suddenly adjusting to, holy cow, am I going to be able to do this on my own? Um, there's often a lot of not enough or maybe too much or both of like, you know, did was I not enough to keep this going? Have I somehow failed my failure now because I have a failed marriage? Um, and spoiler alert, I do not think that divorce does mean a failed marriage. I think it just means that relationship came to an end and you can learn lots from it and go forward, but it does not make you a failure at anything. Um, but it can bring up a lot of stuff like that or like, what are other people going to say? Or what are people going to think? And lots of stuff. And how do you support women when they're going through that, particularly in that really intense time? 
a really big part of it, honestly, is just witnessing those feelings and letting them know that they're not alone in it. Because like I said, so many of us aren't used to dealing with those kind of feelings or aren't used to vocalizing them. And it can feel so lonely to think that like, you're the only one that's going through all of that or like nobody else understand. Um, And a lot of the times, even if you've had friends who have gotten divorced, uh, which I didn't at the time, but even if you have, everybody's stories are so different and you might not want to talk about it with your close friends because often your close friends know your partner as well. And like, I was quite keen on other people not judging my partner for stuff that had happened. I was, I I felt like I was defending him the whole time. So I didn't want to end up telling people. So a big piece of the support is truly just giving people a safe space to say all the things and to, to witness them and to hold them in that and know that like, you're not alone in this. Um, and then beyond just the the holding space for them, it's the, okay, let me teach you some ways, some frameworks that you can use to help you process these emotions. Let me tell you over and over and over again that you deserve happiness. And all those times when you're like, oh, I can't believe, you know, like, am I blowing everything up and am I being selfish? Let me tell you over and over again that actually your happiness matters most and everybody else around you is going to benefit from that. Um, let me give you some tips when it comes to starting co-parenting relationships and how to start this whole new relationship. You're breaking up with your ex, but now you've got a whole new co-parent that you need to deal with. Um, so it's a mix of, of holding, loving, supporting, and then practical stuff as well. Yeah. And that practical stuff, you mentioned a kind of framework for processing those emotions. What, what does that involve? Um, it's, it can be a bunch of things, including like how to how to sit with your emotions, because a big part of what we've done when we're trying not to feel the feelings is like, let's try and numb them out. And it can be, you know, some of the numbing out might be like alcohol or drugs or like some obvious things we think of, but it can also be binging on Netflix or exercising, like over-exercising or going out and partying. So we can try and numb things. So I help people like actually sit with the feelings and journal them out or feel them in your body. And then how to, like, once you've shifted them, then how to move through them, but without ignoring them. So like lots of it comes down to, and you can, I know this isn't video record, but you can see me even moving as I'm talking about this. (laughs) It's about like feeling it in your body and letting it like flow through. Um, And then once you've kind of moved through that, then you can go back and look at what did those emotions tell me and sort of analyze them. But you can't do that until you've really been able to express the feelings fully in the first place. And I mean, I'm I'm using the term divorce, but I kind of guess this is happening at the breakup rather than like the official legal divorce is much further down the line. But at that breakup, like with you, we were you doing this? <laughs> or is this something that you wish you had at the time? Like what support did you have? Um yeah, a lot of this did come later. <laughs> so I did not have this great of support during it. I had I had found a coach who luckily did a few like one-off sessions with me. Um, when I would message and be like, oh my God, I actually don't know how I'm gonna get through the day. Mm. <laughs> She'd be like, okay, let's jump on a call. Um, and would kind of bring me back into myself when I was spiraling totally out of control in my head. Um, but no, a lot of this during the like the the core split time because yeah like you said the the divorce 
it's not just a one-time thing. I I use this phrase to mean like the whole phase of life. Um, the actual legal process is definitely the shortest bit of all of it. Um, but a lot of it I kind of learned later. And I was like, oh, that would have been helpful. <laughs> and I'm guessing like, although we're talking about breakups and divorce, like it's, I mean, these seem practices that we can use in so many situations in terms of um the kind of being aware of the emotions the sitting with them and processing them it's not limited is it just to to breakups no absolutely not um and that is kind of the the not so secret secret of all of my work no oh. <laughs> like i might i might talk about it in a in a divorce context but actually it, it applies to everything all the time to everyone yeah yeah and then you were talking about the co-parent and it kind of strikes me that this is a time that a lot of people have to go through and navigate themselves without much support. I'm guessing this isn't really something that there is much guidance on. Um, it's generally happening behind closed doors unless courts are involved. Um, so again, is that something that you found there wasn't much help and advice and you kind of wanted to retrospectively give people some help through that time? Yeah, there is some. And okay. I I think with like, you know, with previous generations didn't have the internet and all the tools that we have, which we are really lucky to have, but there's certainly not enough. And you have to go, I think at the moment you have to like go specifically seeking it out. So when I was yeah, fresh in all of this and thinking like I we're gonna have to start co-parenting, what does that look like? And I knew I didn't want it to be um I didn't want to do what my parents did. So my parents split up when I was 14 and it was years before they could even like speak peacefully to each other. And even at like my wedding many, many years later, I remember thinking, oh, I can't sit next to each other at the top table. Like, how is this going to go? And I didn't want that for my kids. Um, So early on, like I was on Instagram looking for hashtag co-parenting goals or hashtag co-parenting peacefully. And I hadn't really used Instagram much before that, but I was like, there has to be something here that shows me how people can do this in a way that doesn't suck. Like people must be sharing good experiences and they were. So I was just finding like normal people who were posting these sort of like more uplifting sort of hashtags. And I was like, okay, show me that way. And then from there, I found some accounts of like coaches who were doing this kind of work, co-parenting coaches. but. With all of that I was searching out, I have three really like kind of co-parenting coaches that I follow on Instagram. And that's not very many, is it? In the, no. in the wide world of like all the places you can get help. I'm sure there are more, but it's so yeah, it's the case of it's there, but it's not very widely known. And again, I didn't know that that existed until I was like, please let me find something. So I think the more that we can talk about it and provide this support like the more more people will hear about it and know it's even an option and be able to skip a bunch of the crappy steps that happen along the way you know if you if it just helps you like fast forward that journey a little bit that's worth it yeah I was just thinking kind of the analogy then was like when I had my knee surgery and I'm leaving hospital with all this literature all this advice about what I do and follow-up appointments and I'm just thinking surely you know, there's nothing like that. And this is something much bigger when you're raising children and trying to navigate this new relationship. (laughs) Yeah. Like certainly, you know, when we contacted a divorce lawyer, 
nobody, we contacted several and nobody was like, here's a pile of pamphlets of different divorce coaches, <laughs> co-parenting resources. It was all like, here's how to get the most out of your divorce settlement. Good luck to you. <laughs> that was it. And then you were kind of talking about this kind of stage that comes next after the big emotions and moving into that thriving rather than surviving. Can you tell us a little bit about how how you helped or support women with that? Yeah, definitely. And that that is where, again, my whole not so secret secret of like, this applies to everything really. Um, but it's once you're sort of, I say past that, None of this is linear. You can like move past it and then have big emotional relapses and get hit with the emotions all over again, which is totally normal. But once you're kind of past the the main throes of it, um, then it's about really how do you really start to make prioritizing yourself a daily habit? How do you really start to put yourself first, bring pleasure into your life in everyday ways um, and start to make that the new norm? Because that makes a huge difference. And that happens, you know, that will help you with your parenting. It will help you with your dating. So when you decide to start dating again, and it's like, you're, you're rewriting new ways of showing up new patterns in your life and can just really start to make changes so that it gets it again. You, it's not necessarily that you won't fall back into old patterns because they're hard to break, but you can spot those things sooner and be like, Oh, wait, that's not how I want to do it. I want to show up this way instead um, and really help women see that like, actually, it feels good to do that. Like it might be uncomfortable at first to prioritize yourself or to set boundaries or to bring pleasure into your life because we're not used to that. But once you start doing it and you're like, oh, I feel the benefit. Other people around me are feeling the benefit. We might be onto something here. And what sort of things are we talking about in terms of the kind of these little moments of pleasure? Um, it can be all sorts. Like, so it's things like, um, I became obsessed with candles, <laughs> such a small thing, but like having, having the room smell nice that you're in, or I've got an oil diffuser going at the moment because I want the room to smell nice or putting up things that look nice. I'm surrounded by plants because they make me feel happy and alive. And I've been getting fresh flower deliveries since lockdown started. Um, or, buying new sheets for your bed that are super soft and feel nice on your skin. Or, um, you know, when you get a coffee, getting one and like really taking the time to like taste it and savor rather than like gulping it down because you need the caffeine hit. So it can be teensy tiny little moments, but things that are going to make you feel good is a really great starting spot. And then it can build up into like spending more time, you know, doing a class that you enjoy or saying no to the event you don't want to go to or other things. But even the micro doses make a big difference. Oh, do they? That's what I was going to say. You really believe in the power of these small moments and that they can shift chain. Absolutely. Yep. Not only they make a difference in and of themselves, definitely. And then they start to compound. And once once you realize that doing those little micro doses hasn't actually made you a horrible person because like you prioritize yourself and you're like, oh yeah, then I'm going to do this next thing that I like as well. And so yeah, it all kind of compounds and builds. And do you think there is a kind of cultural 
somewhere along the way women have stopped prioritising themselves? Is this motherhood or is this more widely social conditioning of people pleasing and serving? Is this something quite common that you find? Yes, absolutely. And it's definitely not just motherhood. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a mum or not. If you've if you've been a woman in the world or can, you know, socially brought up as a woman, um, most of us have the people-pleasing tendency really built in from a very young age. We are kind of conditioned to make other people happy, you know, smile, give so-and-so a hug, like do things to make, you know, be a good girl. Um and then, so that's, that starts so young. And then once we move into, especially kind of like the corporate world, um, where the, the masculine way of being is definitely the norm and the masculine leadership traits are what's valued more highly. So we, we tend to sort of try and morph ourselves into that way of being and go along with that. And that's where you are not at all, in, you know, supposed to feel your body and follow your flow I mean, even just like hormonally, women are on a 28-day cycle, whereas men are on a 24-hour cycle. So men operate, it doesn't matter what day of the month it is, their cycles, their hormones and their energy levels fluctuate within the day, whereas women's bodies aren't the same all month long, but we're just supposed to completely ignore that. (laughs) You You should show up to work and function every day as though it's the same when that's not reality for us. So we get out of touch with our bodies by trying to just keep up with the world that we're in. And actually, if we can come back into touch with our bodies and back into touch with our natural energies, we can get so much more productivity and so much more joy and pleasure by embracing that rather than trying to fight against it. One of the things that he's saying about women owning their power, and I was just wondering if this led into that, like what it sounds a very intriguing phrase. Like, what does it mean for you that? Um, so things like when I when I started embracing this more feminine way of being in the workplace, I actually became a better boss, a better people leader, um, and started getting getting more attention from the top as well. Um, rather than trying to force myself into being the leader that I thought all of my male bosses wanted me to be, when I started prioritizing the the people side of things rather than just the accounting side of things, we actually got better accounting results as well because I was treating people as people. Um, and I had spent so many years previous to that thinking, I need like I need more people leader skills. I need more training on this. I'm not very good at communicating with people. And I didn't, I can't even tell you how many, you know, personal development plans I had written, like, I need more people skills training. But actually what I needed to do was stop doubting myself, start communicating in my actual style and understanding that I'm actually really good at this, but I'm doing it my way. And then people started to listen to me more and respect me more because it felt so much more genuine and authentic. Um, and that was just like a work context, but it applies kind of everywhere of just when we really know that we can trust ourselves, we can trust the answers that we have in us. Um, that to me is owning your power and knowing that you get to be fully you instead of trying to be somebody else or what somebody else wants you to be. Mm, and I mean, just as you were talking there and thinking about, like we were to, I asked you that question in the context of women, but I guess with men, the sort of traits that they've been encouraged is that to not show emotion, to man up, 
from that phrase. And I guess it's it's absolutely applicable there as well in terms of doing it your way. Yeah. Men also have been given a very strict set of this is how you're supposed to show up and how Mm. you're supposed to do it. And that doesn't benefit them or us either. No. <laughs> by all of us trying to live by these set rules, it's just toxic for everybody. <laughs> if we can embrace both, like all of these kinds of traits in all of us and be more natural and full of our own integrity, everybody wins. And when did, when are you kind of sensing this shift in you? Um, is this after your divorce that, again, this was something that you were working on and opening up? Yeah, it was when I started getting my own coaching. Um, Mm. And it was a combination of a lot of it came down to the coaching I was getting where I was noticed learning more about sort of the masculine and feminine energies and realizing that I had like sort of pushed down all the feminine parts of myself for so long. So I was trying to bring those back into play. But it was also that at the same time, I was going back to work after my second maternity leave and Whereas it, there was a there was already a shift after my first child, but at that point I still had a husband at home helping me balance the work. So I was still trying to show up at work in the same way I had three kids. Whereas after my second child and being a single mom, then I was like, I actually can't do the same hours. I can't give you the same. I can work really hard while I'm here, but I have to have very strict boundaries of, I need to go and leave and pick up my kids at this time. I'm not turning on my computer when I get home because I'm absolutely exhausted and need to focus on my kids. So it was sort of the the laying down the, the law of, I now have two kids and I'm a single mom, so I have to do things differently, but also that coaching work that showed me. And this way that I want to do it is good too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you were talking about as well as like we mentioned the divorce and the co-parenting and then you mentioned about dating again. I mean, how was that journey for you? It's an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so I took about two years before I even like dipped my toe into the dating world. Um, I really needed to get myself on more solid ground, get my kids older and it worked out well that that's when we moved into a 50-50 parenting. So up for the first two years, I had my kids most of the time. Um, and I honestly don't know when. I don't know how people who are full-time single parents, I don't know when you date because it's also, I like I said, I've had no family here. So when my kids were with me, they were always with me. But after about two years, we switched 50-50 and I was in a more solid place with myself and I had really learned to prioritize myself. Like, let's go back out there into dating. And it turns out everything I had done previously was like in a classroom context. And now I was in the real world and I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, But you've got to do some of that learning in real time. So it's really helped me set even more boundaries and more priorities and realize like what is important to me? What am I looking for in a partner? What am I willing or not willing to put up with? How do I want to communicate with other people? it's really been like an even further self-learning process. And how do you support other women that are going through that? Um, a big part of it is, so we we naturally can be very terrified of like, after you've gone through a divorce, there's definitely hurt of some sort, whether you were the one who made the decision or your partner made the decision, but there's there's hurt and pain and scars that come out of that. So it can be terrifying to be like, how am I going to put myself out there again? 
knowing that I might get hurt. So I help women understand that, yeah, you actually probably are going to get hurt again. You know, that is part of the process and you're going to be okay. That is okay. And when you know that you can fall back on yourself because you've got that strong self foundation, then it's not as scary because you're like, okay, I know my heart might get broken and I know I'm going to recover from it. It's going to suck, but I'm, I know that I'm going to get past it. So I really help people with that. I also help them, um, again, like while you're going through the dating process, how do you make it feel good? How do you make it feel fun? How do you decide how you want to show up? How do you bring more pleasure into the dates? That sort of thing. Yeah, I really love it that you're talking about you're going to get hurt, but you'll be all right. Like it's not that we're going to try and prevent anything bad happening in the future because that's impossible. But I think it's something that I and others have tried to do. I suppose, is there something that we can do to make it so that we're quicker at getting back up? Or do we not need to do that? Is there anything that we can be doing when we're not in the eye of the storm with all these huge things happening, but maybe when things are a little bit easier. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this, this goes back to the resilience topic. That's exactly it. it. Of the, <laughs> yeah. The, the, how do you get back up and keep going? But I think so all of it, whether you're in the thick of it or in the calmer period is always strengthening that foundation of self. So it's putting yourself first. It's putting your, learning your needs and learning how to fill them, not looking to other people to make you feel important or make you feel sexy or, you know, like I know one for me, the the first guy I dated who really like brought out this whole new sexual energy in me that I hadn't even like known existed before. And it was a really hard breakup because I, in my head at the time was like, that sexual part of me is only activated by him. And I, ha- I was like, actually, a lot of work later helped me realize not only is it not just, it's not just him who can activate it. It's not even just a man who can activate it, but I can activate that part of me. Um, so finding ways constantly to be the one that you need. And that doesn't mean that we're an island by any means. Um, but when you know how to meet your own needs and how to recognize them, I think that does help when the next breakup comes. You're like, okay, I know how to listen to my body. I know how to listen to my needs. Um, And again, that whole like not trying to fight it. So like when I break up with somebody, I tend to spend the first like two days on the couch watching chick flicks, like just really letting myself wallow because I know it's only going to be a day or two of the real thick wallowing. And then I will... I know I'm going to want to get back up and carry on with life. Whereas if I try and fight that at the beginning and I'm like, I'm fine, then it draws out that icky feeling. Um, So learning how to listen to your needs and giving yourself what you need then can make the whole process easier. And you talked about like deepening intimacy. And I wondered whether that you're talking about sexual intimacy or emotional intimacy, like what does that involve? Both, all of it. Um, yeah, intimacy really to me is like self-intimacy is knowing yourself and sexual intimacy is certainly part of it, but it starts with like just emotional intimacy. And so it's things like, um, knowing, yeah, like knowing how to listen to your needs and how to meet those needs. It's things like when you get triggered by something, like if somebody upsets you, 
looking in and going, wait, what, what is that triggering in me? And why am I reacting this way? Um, so an example of that is I was dating a guy who he, he kind of went quiet. It was he, the communication pattern changed. It wasn't even like he ghosted me for days, but it was like, we, we had been having multiple back and forth a day. And then there was a couple days where I'd only get like one or two texts. And instantly I was like, Oh God, I need to break up with him or like run away or he's about to break up with me. And I could, I felt my body change into this, like, Oh, even though everything had been great up until then. And I was able to look and really start to ask myself the questions of like, why am I reacting this way? And realize that part of it for me was the not seeing my divorce coming and feeling like I wasn't aware enough to see what was going on. So what if I miss the signs again? So now I'm being hypervigilant of like, I don't want to be caught unaware and blindsided again. So instead I'm going to be like, something changed. It must be something bad. (laughs) And then being able to come back and go, well, hang on. It's not my job to spot every hurt before it happens. And again, that whole like, yep, I could be caught unaware and I could get hurt. And I'm going to be okay if that happens, but why would I spend all of that time anticipating the hurt? So then like all of that time sucks too, or I could lean into this and go, nope, I'm just going to keep enjoying the good parts of it. And if the hurt comes, I'll deal with it then. And so to me, all of that is intimacy. It's the looking at yourself, understanding what's going on, being intentional about how you want to react to it, and then moving forward from there. Thank you. You explain it so well. And yeah, and then going back to, I think you do provide coaching in group settings as well for women on, I think, do you call it dirty talk? (laughs) Yeah. So being able to talk about those things, which perhaps we don't talk about. I mean, like, how have you found that? How have you found tackling the British way of not wanting to discuss sex or intimacy in great detail with particularly with strangers um it's been really fun <laughs> so yeah like I said that that was all the emotional intimacy but then yeah there's a sexual intimacy too so I've got a class on blowjobs a class on self-pleasure I've got a group program called dirty talk like you said um, where we come together and we talk about these things and once once people like make the decision to dive in then everybody so far has been like, oh my gosh, that was so like freeing. And it's, Mm. I've certainly found it my own life of like the thing that I'm scared of once I do it, I'm like, well, that wasn't nearly as scary as I thought it would be. And it can actually be really freeing to talk about with strangers because we don't tend to talk about it as much with our friends actually, or you might like super high level, but like, I've got questions that I'm embarrassed to ask my friends about. But when you come together with a group of women who you know is there for the purpose of talking about this stuff, and as soon as somebody else, like I always start by sharing my stories about whatever it is we're talking about. And I'm very open and authentic. And I don't necessarily, it doesn't mean you have to share every gory detail. Things can still be private. But by me opening up and sharing, it lets other people feel safe of like, oh, I want to share this and ask that question. And then as soon as the first person goes and the second person's like, actually, I feel safe sharing this too. And being able to have that like free conversation and ask the questions that you thought, or my favorite part is when people are like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> like, 
no, you're never the only one. <laughs> okay. Hearing people say that, it's just like that can be an immediate release. And it happens every time. And I'm like, oh, this is the best. <laughs> That's the nugget. That's the bit that you want. And I think like, mm-hmm. I suppose we live in a world where I don't think that particularly like female pleasures really talked about that much. It's not necessarily shown authentically on the screen. <laughs> So it seems like it's a really important time to have these discussions. And do you feel like there is a shift? Do you think that younger generations, I guess, in your kind of similar-ish age to me, maybe slightly younger, but like what, what do you think for the future? Do you think that we are going to be able to have more open conversations? I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing your best oh. to help us. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, you're right. I think that it doesn't get portrayed very well at all. And like a big part of like my self-pleasure class is talking about how like I don't orgasm every time and that's okay. Like I'm not going to give you like a, here's the surefire way to do it. It's like, I talk about how pleasure shifts and changes and what feels good today. might not feel good tomorrow. And, and like, it's really about embracing where you're at with all of that rather than like, here's the one thing that you do and it should look like this and sound like this and like throw all of that away and embrace what feels good to you. So that is a huge part of it. And then, yeah, in terms of like the next generation, I mean, my kids are still pretty young. They're three and six right now. But even with that already, I'm trying and, you know, I'm new to this too, but I'm trying to help them have a different relationship with it. Like when my girls, like if I'm on my period and the girls come in when I'm in the bathroom, I don't try and hide it or lock the door. I'm, like I'm explaining at kid-friendly level what's happening when I'm bleeding um, or when the girls touch themselves on their private parts rather than being like, oh no, don't do that. I do Because I don't want them to feel shame about touching themselves in that way because that's what so many of us have grown up with. But again, they're very young, so I'm not like encouraging the sexual side at this point, but I'm also not I'm like, oh, yes, I see you touching there. And they'll be like, oh, it feels funny. And I'm like, I bet it does feel funny, doesn't it? What happens if you touch your tummy? Does that feel funny too? And I'm trying to just kind of normalize it all for them as opposed to hide it away or don't do that. Mm. So yeah, I'm hoping that stuff like that starts to shift the whole wider conversation. Yeah, you talked about, or we talked about like in the intro, like the peeling back the layers of shame. And I don't think you were specifically talking about with sexual intimacy at all there, but just kind of widening it, widening it out to that. Like what sort of shame do you see in your work and how do we start moving beyond that? Oh my gosh, so much shame all over the place, everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It comes up so often in in the sex stuff and in Mm. more widely, but women are not encouraged to prioritize their own pleasure. Like that is, you know, in subtle and not so subtle ways, we've mostly been taught that that is dirty or bad, or, you know, you're going to be labeled a slut or branded a hussy or, you know, all kinds of those sorts of things. Um, and I think a lot of that, and I can go on a long rant about the patriarchy trying to. Fine, we've had a few podcasts that. of that. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get on the topic, it's hard to stop. <laughs> um, but so I think a lot of that it is just built into the fabric of our lives and trying to unpeel that and actually go, well, hang on, who is benefiting from me not feeling my pleasure? I'm not benefiting from that, am I? And so when you can start to apply that lens of like, wait a second here, 
I have these beliefs that I didn't choose to take on. I'm going to identify them and get rid of those beliefs that aren't serving me anymore. And I'm going to replace them with new beliefs that actually do serve me better. Um, And some of that is like societal shame that's been put on us. Some of it comes from individual personal experiences. Um, You know, sometimes when I'm working with clients, I'll say, when that voice pops up in your head, like, tell me what that voice is. And some people have said like, oh, I hear my dad's voice. Or some might be like, it's my sex ed teacher from year five or others is like, oh, I don't know the voice. I just, I don't know where it came from. I just know it. So it can be specific or not, but ultimately we all have these stories and trying to, yeah, just choose to shed the light on them, shine the light on them, sorry, and get rid of the ones that we don't like anymore. And it's it's ongoing because a lot of this is really deep in. So it's like one layer at a time. We're just going to keep peeling and keep peeling. And it ultimately makes a big difference. Mm. And you mentioned Brené Brown. And I was trying to think if it was her quote that kind of thinking about the opposite of shame did she, is openness. I think I'd heard that somewhere. And it seems like you're really encouraging people to talk and shine a light on the things that are causing shame. And yes, nothing in life is inherently shameful. Like shame is very much a social construct that gets put on things. So, but the, and yeah, it is brain talks about like the biggest antidote to shame is shining a light on it. As mm. soon as you talk about something or turn that light on, shame loses its power over us like instantly. And it's, it's an ongoing thing. But just bringing it into the topic of conversation immediately starts to loosen its power. And so that's why that's why I have the Dirty Talk program. It's why I talk about this stuff, because it's like just even saying it out loud starts to make a difference. And the more we have these conversations, the less scary it gets. Um, even like when I first was like, I think I want to do a class on blowjobs, I like whispered it. And I was like, I'm only going to put it in like my Instagram stories. So only a <laughs> few people know about it. And like over time by me saying it out loud, I was like, oh, now I'm going to post it on my Instagram grid. Now I'm going to put it on my Facebook where like my actual family can see it. <laughs> now I'm going to go to networking events and introduce myself as like the blowjob coach. But it, <laughs> and it was, but it starts with like, I have to like name it. And then it reduces its power and reduces its power. And that applies to all of this. Yeah, that seems a really powerful way. And also quite, it makes it less overwhelming if we can just keep dipping our toe and just kind of slowly edging towards whatever it is we were a bit scared of. Like how? Yeah, very much. Oh, I was just gonna say that, like with all of this, I believe very much in like taking baby steps and inching your way forward. It, like it's no good for your nervous system to go like straight in the deep end and be like, do this massive, huge, scary thing. And your nervous system's like, <laughs> Um, I very much believe in like, okay, do the next scary thing and notice how, and then let your body sort that out. Then do the next scary thing and let your body get used to that. That is a much safer, more regulated way to do it. Okay. Yes. Although I'm thinking like with your career change, it's quite, oh, I guess that some people, maybe they can have this overlap, but when I've um, gone from one career to another, it was never easy to ease into it it was kind of jumping off a cliff and hoping that I was going to have a parachute or have a safe landing on the way and I just wondered how you made that decision to leave the corporate world and yeah do what you're doing now yeah there is there comes a point where you do have to jump (laughs) I made it 
as safe for myself as I could in that I, it, I had about a year lead up to it, um, where actually I'd even told my bosses. So I effectively gave a year's notice, um, because it felt better to my nervous system that they, that we were all on the same page. I knew that I couldn't handle showing up every day, knowing I was going to leave and then not knowing it. Um, so that helped me to tell them I was saving money that whole time, knowing I was going to need a pot of money to sustain me through the startup of this. I was coaching at the same time. So I was building, you know, I had my social media going and I was doing some coaching with private clients. Um, so that was, it was overlapping, but then it got, I knew that there was going to get to this point of, I'm going to have to make the jump. Um, but even then when I made the jump, it was very much, I started off by just still talking about kind of general coaching. And I think I was, is that my title at the moment? It wasn't intimacy and empowerment coach. I think it was maybe still vulnerability coach. My titles have shifted Ooh, I like over that the one time. as well. <laughs> yeah, because I think being vulnerable is a huge key to all of this. And that came straight from Brene's work. Um, but so, so I was talking more general coaching. Then I moved into, like, I had the divorcee program. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get more specific on divorce coaching. And then the move into the more sexual side of things, the the self-pleasure and the blowjobs and dirty talk, that's a more recent shift as well. So all of this has been, there was a moment where it's like, I've left my corporate job and I'm not getting a paycheck anymore. But even within that, like if I had gone, I'm going to be a coach and I'm going to talk about blowjobs. Like it's the very first thing <laughs> I could not have coped with that. <laughs> like I did not talk about that stuff back in the beginning. And so it still has been an evolution for me. And what a fascinating one. I'm just thinking if some of this has resonated with people, particularly like maybe that question that you said at the start, is this it? Like if people are thinking that about their life, what sort of advice would you give them? What, what sort of pointers of where they could uh, explore that? If you are thinking, oh, is this it? The answer is no. <laughs> I can tell you that. There is way more. Um, come coach with me. Um, but also, I think the very first thing is start to find what lights you up. Start to disrupt your normal, like the rut that you're in. So if you spend, if you come home every night and zone out in front of Netflix and you're like, oh, it's draining me, start to do things differently. Find podcasts that get you excited to listen to instead. Start going on a daily walk like we all used to do in lockdown and then ditched as soon as it was back to normal life. You know, find something different to do, but particularly start to find the things that light you up. And, it, and sometimes that means a lot of experimentation. But when you find something that you're like, oh, that sparked a little something, follow that a little bit more, you know, listen to a different podcast that had something that lit you up or go on and talk to a coach. A lot of coaches and myself included will offer free content that you can like just binge away on all the free contents to start with. Then you can buy like an intro level something. You don't have to dive straight into super expensive coaching packages, but there's lots of ways you can start small and then follow that trail. Ugh. But I absolutely promise that you like there is more. So if you're feeling like, is this it? No, you get to be lit up. You get to enjoy your life. You get to like, you know, enjoy the time with the kids instead of thinking about it as a drag. Even when I was still in my corporate job, 
all of these things made going to my corporate job way more fun. Like you get to find ways to make life feel good. And how do you feel about your divorce and that period with it also compounded by the how young your children were and the lockdowns? Like how do you retrospectively view them? Do you now see that it was a positive or do you not need to go to that length? Do you feel like it was something that made you stronger? Or again, do we not need to find that we've come out the other side and have such a positive view of things? Um, no, for me, it was the best thing I really... that could have happened and it needed to happen that way. Yeah. It, I, although it sucked so bad at the time, I don't think it could have happened any other way, or at least it would have been way longer and drawn out. Um, so yeah, other people tend to be like, yes, but you know, the timing was awful and he could have done that differently or that differently. Um, and yeah, he could have, but I think it would have just drawn it all out. And it, I don't think that I, I can't see a time when I would have like taken the initiative to, to do that hard work and do it myself. That does not mean that I think everybody needs to have their marriage fall apart and get divorced in order to, to kind of restart this journey of life. Like that's although it happened that way for me and I can't imagine it being different. I think you absolutely can do all of this within a relationship, but the sooner you start to make those changes, the sooner you get to, you know, start to do that work, the bigger the difference it will make. Like I had a client come to me who had been questioning her marriage and thinking like, just, you know, every day is so awful. I'm stressed all the time. I think my, my husband and my child would probably be better off without me there. Um, because it's just, it's such a drag all the time. And by doing coaching together and working through her stuff, like we weren't even talking about the relationship. We were just looking at her needs and her prioritizing. Any thought of divorce just fell away completely. Like they, their marriage got stronger as a result and it's, it's changed so much. So the sooner you can do that, hopefully you can avoid the big blow up. But also if you do need the big blow up, then there's also hope on the other side. Like there, there is no one way fits everybody. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. How can we kind of follow your work and find you in real life? Oh, all the ways. Um, so my, I'm Lindsay Hall Coaches. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook on Lindsay Hall Coaches, all one word. My website is lindsayhallcoaches.com. Um, and you can email me on lindsay.hall.coaches. <laughs> and I'm sure we can put all this in. I'll show put notes, it all in but... the show notes. <laughs> yeah, but the my my social media is the best way to kind of follow along mm. with all the daily stuff. And then the the website is where you can see what's currently on offer. And what about in the future? Are there any more courses, plans, or directions, or is it just wait and see and <laughs> see what comes up? Yeah, a little bit of both. So <laughs> I definitely like the the blowjob class and the self-pleasure class are going to, they're up on the website. You can get any time because Dirty Talk is like, it's a live, you get a group of women coming together. Um, there's a round of that going out in June this year. I'm, I already know there will be another round. I don't have the date set yet, but that's going to, that's kind of a recurring thing that will keep going. Um, the divorcee programs are up and available, but then what comes next is anybody's guess. Oh, is there <laughs> anything that you don't, that you're only whispering and don't say at the moment or is that just? 
There's definitely going to be a co-parenting thing at some point. So at the moment, I don't have a specific co-parenting thing. It's kind of built like, and if you do one-to-one coaching, we can definitely do that. But but at some point, there will be a co-parenting thing. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like yet. Oh, that's exciting. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experiences. And yes, thank you for making it so accessible as well, particularly on your social media and things. Oh, you are so welcome. And thank you for giving me the chance to talk to you about it. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.